on the inerrant Word of God, he says, Baal, I'm sorry. And I will tell you something else that's happening. We're starting to hear this one phrase that we're starting to hear more and more and more of, and that Christians are domestic
not the righteousness of God. They had the righteousness of, of their own righteousness. And it says in verse 1, chapter 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God is that they might be saved. Verse 2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. In other words, they're religious. They really want to, uh, you know, they, they seem like they want to serve God, whatever. But listen to this, but it's not according to knowledge. This is why we got to get in the Word. In verse 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, so they're ignorant of God's righteousness, and what have they done? They have seeking to establish their own righteousness have not committed to the righteousness of God. And so, so your God, your goodness, or God, your Jesus. That's what he, he's trying to get over to. So in verse 8, Paul goes back and he says this, Yet indeed I can also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, of whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Well, the word rubbish in the New, old, old King James says it's dumb. It's like Calvinism. And so he counts all the things in the world that was part of his life that he seemed to have an advantage over other people. And he says simply, I count all those things as lost. They don't matter to me. And he says, the reason they don't matter to me that the main thing that I want to bear more than anything else that I might be found in him. That I might have the salvation and the righteousness of Jesus Christ which would matter a whole lot more. And that's the whole thing when the Bible tells us what, is, what advantage is a man if he gained the entire world, but he loses his soul. So, so, if you, so what would happen to you if, if you if you had all the money in the world, all the knowledge in the world, all the things that you want in the world? What would happen, but in the, in the long term of things, you lose your soul. You lose your soul. So Paul writes, everything is garbage or dumb. And listen to what he says in verse 9. And he writes this in the New Living Translation. And he says this, And become one with him, that I might become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness to obey the law. Rather, I become righteous to the faith of Jesus Christ. And this is the key point that each one of us got to come to a place that we understand. Did you catch that? I become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. The re- he, he, what is he saying? I've become right. The reality of righteousness. And, and I really believe with all my heart that this has to be settled in every one of our minds. It has to be. And, and so, as long as it, it, is, uh, it is, the goodness is, as long as you, it is not settled, then the goodness you will always feel inadequate. If, if, you never, if you have never come to the place of really understanding and comprehending who you are in Jesus Christ, you're going to feel inadequate. You'll always feel it. And you're going to feel inadequate, and you, you, you're going to feel that you, you, you can't accomplish. Well, number one, you can't accomplish anything for the kingdom of God until you know who you are. I used to see little kids out here when I was a principal that had a terrible home life. And as they had a terrible home life, as students here at school were trying to perform, they had a hard time trying to do that in class. And why was that? Because they had no confidence in themselves. They didn't know whether they were going to go home and have something to eat. They didn't know whether or not somebody was going to pick them up. I sat out here many nights waiting for somebody to come pick up a child. If I didn't know where my kids were, in five minutes I was already tore all to pieces. You know, but I saw I saw parents not come pick their kids up for three and four hours after school was already out and not care. I had one mother come in here one time that the bus driver called me and told me to bring the kids back. I brought the kids back 
they brought the kid back to me. I put him in after school. He came through the front door, looked in here, and saw him in here, and ducked out the door. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. Now, you know, and, and what I, let me tell you something. When she got back, I was waiting on her. So, so, so what am I saying? I, I, I'm saying that lack of confidence in yourself, that lack of love, that lack of, of, of emphasis on making you feel like you're whole in a person will affect everything you go to do. And God doesn't want you to feel that way. He wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're healed. So not only will it that you will not be able to accomplish anything for the kingdom, but because you always feel incomplete and, and, and are full of false guilt, uh, you're never going to have the peace and the joy that you're supposed to have in your life that God talks about. You'll never be able to do what it says over in 1 John chapter 5, that, that which is born of God overcomes the world. You won't do it because you're not settled in that fact. And the one thing that you and I have to settle more than anything else is that I know I'm saved. I know that God loves me more than anything else in this world. Jesus was the Word. He was the Word, and the Word was Jesus. You cannot separate God, His righteousness. You cannot separate Jesus from the Word of God in Christ. Now, look at what the Amplified Bible says. And the Amplified gives you all, the, and gives you every phrase, everything of the most of Greek and Hebrew, whatever you're reading. But look what it says in the Amplified Bible about verse 9. Let me read verse 9 again, then I'll read it from the Amplified Bible. It says this, And I might be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ's righteousness, which is from God by faith. Well, look what it says in the Amplified Bible. It says this, And that I might be actually be found and known as in him, not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own, based on my obedience to the law and to make the law's demand, ritualistic unrighteousness and supposed right standing with God thus acquired, but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the anointed one, the truly right standing with God, which comes from God by our saving faith. So what's he saying to us? He's just simply saying to us that I would rather, I will sell everything I have, whatever else, to have the righteousness of God rather than the righteousness of man. Philippians 3, 9 is the summary of the book of Romans for it deals with the heart of salvation in one verse. So, and it tells us that there are two kinds of righteousness. And I want you to hear that. There are two kinds of righteousness. There's the righteousness that comes from God and there's righteousness that comes from man. The, uh, second, God cannot be satisfied with any righteousness that comes from human beings. No matter what you're trying to do, no matter how hard you're trying to climb up the ladder, whatever, and the reason you cannot, because we're part of the curse. And as a result of the curse, it comes from that curse, and therefore it cannot satisfy God. The third thing is God is satisfied with His own righteousness, which He offers freely to all those who believe in Jesus Christ. And for those who do believe this is the object of salvation to arrive at a decision that you accept and come to His, come to His righteousness, not your own. Now, when I first got saved, I'm going to tell you what I believed. When I was a kid and before I really sat down and started reading the Bible, what I really believed, I believed that God had a scale and I would step up on that scale and if my good outweighed my bad, then God would say, okay, you just go to heaven. If my bad outweighed, if my bad outweighed then I went to the other place. 
And I think there's, in all the people I've talked to today, I think there's a lot of people that feel the same way. And they're still trying, and, and what, what, you know, when the Bible talks about there is a rest for the people of God, what's it talking about? That you take a deep breath and you accept what God has said about you because you've come to Jesus Christ. And I think there's a lot of people that have a hard time accepting that. And so as a result of that, in the walk of the Lord, the walk is, is really tore up most of the time. So two kinds of righteousness. And it's not easy to describe the righteousness of God because it is, it is an aspect of His character. When the Lord gave the law, He didn't flip a coin and say, okay, heads you can lie and tails, you, 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 can, you, you have to tell the truth. He didn't do that. No, He gave the law because that's who He is. The reason He tells us not to lie is because He always tells us truth. The reason He tells us not to lust is because He always is pure. No. The reason He tells us He tells us not to commit idolatry is because one, He knows that we would be disappointed if we do that and we're to again. But because He's real. He is relative. He is relative to your life. Let me say it again. God is relative to your life. What does that mean? He's real. He's the answer to your life. Whatever the situation, whatever the thing you're going through, He is relative to your life. When the law says don't commit adultery, it's because He is so pure. He is the law. The righteousness of God is related to what? The holiness of God. I don't think we understand what holiness is. And and I, I think that, you know, when we talk about holiness, I think immediately a picture of two Amish people comes up. All got, you know, we got a beard and we got all this kind of stuff. And I'm not talking about the beard, but I'm not talking about that. But that, yeah, that's the guy too that they're doing that. But, so I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying we don't understand the holiness of the joy and the peace that comes because of holiness. The law is not God's righteousness, but it is an expression of His righteousness and His personality. Just as a coin. That is an expression of a die in the mint that produced that the coin. So the law is like that coin. The law is an expression of God Himself. It is not God. The law is not God, but it's an expression of Himself. And in the law, we see God's purity, His holiness, and His love, and His integrity, and His perfection. But the righteousness of God is seen in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. We see God's power in nature. We see God's principles in the law, but we see God's personality in Jesus. And it is infused with the righteousness. Jesus said in John 8.46, Which of you convicts me of sin? And I tell you the truth, why do you not believe on me? What was Jesus was simply he was simply saying there? He was saying that you you you're trying to convict me of sin, and where where is it that you try to convict me of? And then he finally goes on just a few verses earlier that in John 8, 29, and he said, And who sent me with me? Uh, the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please me. So Jesus never sinned a single solitary time in his life, never had a bad thought. He was righteous. But the righteousness that was seen in the law and in Jesus Christ is different from human righteousness. Human beings would like to think that they can attain God's standards of righteousness by merely adding to their own. But 
But since there are two kinds of righteousness and are different in nature, this is impossible. Most believe that goodness can be placed on a scale. And so for most people, here's what they think. So on the bottom are the murderers and the thieves and the perverts. Then there are those who, who righteousness is a little bit better. Uh, they're sort of the average people right in the middle. But then there are a few choice righteousness, uh, righteous people a little bit higher. They think that God's righteousness is the highest of all, though, above it. But that's not the way it is at all. That's not at all. The Bible teaches there are two kinds of righteousness. The righteousness, His righteousness, and human righteousness. And that the accumulation of human righteousness, no matter how diligent, will never take you to heaven. I don't care how good you are and how righteous you are. If you don't have God's righteousness, human righteousness, maybe a good person, maybe a good moral person, it will never take you to heaven. This is why, you know, this is why when you go over to the book of John, and I think it's in John chapter in John chapter 1, Jesus is talking about, but as many as received him, and listen to what he says. He says in John 1, uh, verses, uh, um, yeah, uh, he, well, start with verse 11. He came into his own, and his own, uh, uh, and I didn't give you this, John 1, chapter 11, 12, and 13. He came into his own, and his own did not receive him. But listen to what he says, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God and to those who believe in his name. Now listen at verse 13. Because he says this, Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What's he saying? That that's man's righteousness. The will of man, or the flesh, that's man's righteousness. And it will never take a person into heaven. It just won't. You know, and, and so... So as a result of that, if you ever play, you ever play a Monopoly? Anybody? Anybody? Monopoly? Uh, anybody ever played Monopoly? Huh? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's, there we go. Uh, if you ever played Monopoly, you know there's money involved. But you would never go to the grocery store with that Monopoly money to try to pay for your groceries, would you? Why would you not do that? Because monopoly money is play money, not real. Well, that's why. Because it is, it is it's raised basically, monopoly money is just a different kind of currency. It's play money. Real money is used in the world. It won't work. Here's the thing. We have to be careful because we're people that we think we're collecting assets before God when they're only collecting human righteousness. The Lord is telling us we must leave the play money to deal to deal in His goodness. If we, want to, if we want His goodness, then we've got to leave all the other things behind. Our goodness has no value in heaven. And that's Romans 3. That's like the guy, you know, that, that all, his, all his gold and everything, the Lord left this one guy, you know, he, he took it to heaven when he got to heaven. And he walked in the pearly gates and Peter was standing at the gate and he looked at him and he's got this big bag of gold with him and he comes up there and Peter looks at him and says, you brought black copper? Because that's what it is. I mean, the streets of gold, so what is worthless. And it, it's worthless in heaven. So we must come to the conclusion that our goodness has no value in heaven, that the Romans 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. So we must come to the conclusion that all are condemned, but the truth, most people don't believe it. So much of the Bible is given over to showing us why human goodness will never please God. It just won't. And the book 
the Romans is that example. Two Corinthians chapter 1, the whole world, the Bible says in verses 18 all the way through, the whole world is guilty before God in chapter 1. It's guilty before God. It, pro- it probes the depths of human sin as it lays out for us, exposing our sinful illness, indicating why humans' remedies cannot heal the soul. Well, listen to some of the things it says, starting with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that may, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. And then he starts in verse 8 and 21, saying, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but came futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. When you get on over to chapter, when you get on over to uh, chapter one on, on in Romans, and you get to uh, starting with verse 24, he gives you three verses: 24, 26, and also 28, where it says that God gave them over. What are we seeing in the world that we're looking in today? Because God's given people over to some of the violence, meanest things for children on this earth. Some of the things you hear, you just shudder, and you think, how in the world could anybody do something like that to a child? Because they, their, their, their hearts have been darkened. So he exposes our sinful illness, indicating why human remedies cannot heal the soul. In Romans 8, verse 3, people say, well, I live by the Ten Commandments. Well, okay, here's your problem you've got. Number one, it tells us that what's it for? That, that the, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Well, why won't well, they be justified? Because it's not God's righteousness. But if you go on with it, he goes on to chapter 8, and starting with ver- uh, chapter 8 and verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. What's He saying? And when I hear people say, I live by the Ten Commandments, well, that's good for you. But you know what? This says He can't do it. He can't change you. He can't make you have the peace and the joy and the other things in your life. Only Jesus can do that. That's why the Bible says that God's hope for you and I, the hope for your family, it's not that you live a better life. It's not that you do something better or whatever. No, your hope for all of us is that we allow Christ to come into us and take us over to the point that He runs our being inside of us. That's why Paul says over in Galatians 2.20, he said, For I'm crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus that lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's what God meant to do so according to the Apostle Paul, there are three types of people. Each one needs God's righteousness. Number one, here's the first one, and it's found in verses 18 through 32. And I'm not going to read all, all these because it just takes too long. This is the person who says, only the standards of my conduct that I recognize is what I devise myself. I'm going to live my life how I want to. I march to my own drumbeat. I live for myself and whatever pleasures I can find. Paul says that person is on a path that leads away from God. And then in verses 21 through 28, chapter 1 of Romans, he's leading to a deprived mind and sexual impurity. Now, this is why when you go over to the 12th chapter in the book 
of Hebrews, and it talks about let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And then he goes into verse 2, looking to Jesus, which is also the source of our faith. And so what is the sin among all of us that easily besets us? What is it? Some people, I used to think it was lust. Some other people would be pride. Some people greed, all those kind of things. That's not it. The sin that we all have that easily besets us is unbelief. And, here's, and it says, leaves a root of bitterness crops up. When we won't forgive, when we won't look to Jesus, we will, bitterness comes into our life. And when bitterness comes into our life, guess what? It leads to other sins. Because when you read that over in Hebrews, what it says in, I think it's verse 15, when it, it tells us simply, uh, it says, uh, yeah, that leads to other sins, but verse 15, looking carefully, lest anyone falls short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Now, let me tell you this to you. When you get to a place in your life that bitterness and things come in, you know what the next step is? This is what, he, what the next person, at least there's any fornicator or a, a profane person like Esau, who for one more so 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 what does it say? It leads to other sins. It leads to other sins. That means if a person will not allow Jesus Christ to make him like God through grace, that person will attempt to make God like, any, like a, a human being. That's the final step. You know, you got you got first off the vanity of imagination. Therefore, God gave them over to that. Here's the second step: the person who lives for himself is that his heart is darkened, and God is truth, but he's also light. When a people turn from Him and they walk, they walk in darkness. And when they walk in darkness, it's just like a person who walks in his own shadow. When he turns with his back to the sun, and so here's the sun shining here, and, he, and he's casting the shadow. And, and the farther he walks, he, uh, the farther he gets from the light, the larger the shadow becomes and the darker his journey. And that's what takes place. Step three is, although they claimed to be wise, they became like fools. No one who turns to his own reasoning instead of God's truth, thus his heart is darkened, and they begin to live by their deprived human reasoning, and a foolish heart is bad. You know what they think? They think they're becoming wise. That's like Eve. Well, that, and, and that's a lie. And that's a lie that, that Satan tried to say. He said, for God knows. And Satan told Eve, he said, for in, that God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so, boy, you're going to be so wise that you'll be taking this fruit here. And you know what happened? You know? The final step is to exchange the worship of God for the worship of man. This is what's happened in our this is what's been going on a long time. Why do we have young people that don't want, no longer want to be in church? Why do we have young people that don't honor this Bible? Because for 40 or 50 or 60 years, they have been taught humanism. They've been taught humanism. What is humanism? Humanism is taking God off the throne and putting man on the throne. He becomes a sinner. He becomes a sinner. Man has always, man has always wanted to be in the sinner. You know, when Copernicus came up with the theory of, of that the solar system, and, and and up to this point, man was in the center, and everything revolved around him. When Copernicus said that no, the sun is in the middle, and all the planets and everything go around him. Guess what they did with him? They threw him in jail. He replaced man, and that's the same thing that we're doing today with humanism. We, you know. You say, well, now, Lee, let me tell you something. In our school system today, we've probably got uh, 60 to 70% of young people who believe who believe that the homosexuality
homosexuality is all right. Why do they believe that homosexuality is okay? Because that's what they've been taught. They hear it over and over and over and over again until finally what happens? Well, it must be true. I guess if you say something long enough and, and, and more and more you do it, then eventually people will begin to start to believe it. And so Romans 1.23, which means simply that that means if a person will not allow Jesus Christ to make him like God through grace, that person will attempt to make God like a human being. That's what we've done. We pulled God and made him, rather than us coming to him, we have now taken other things. And so he's, he's going to, man will then begin to construct something in God's place. What's the sin of America today? The sin of America? You say what you want to. It's idolatry. You say, oh, no. And yes, it is. Why? Because we worship. What do we worship? We worship sports heroes. We worship, we worship people that make plenty of money. We worship movie stars. We worship all these things. We're just, no, we don't bow down to a rock, but we're just as guilty as someone that is doing it. And if a person is on the road, then they, they're on the road to this, they need to turn around and go back. And that's called, that's called repentance. The second person is the moral person. He does this in Romans chapter 2. In chapter 1 of Romans, he talks about how the whole world is guilty before God. He goes to chapter 2 and he says, now the person who is self-righteous and the person who is religious, this is they're still guilty of the same. This is the person who would say to Paul, well, I'm not like corrupt people you just described in chapter 1. I, 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 I do not live only for myself. I pursue high standards. I have a zeal for God, and not, but it's not a total knowledge. Therefore, you call, you call to repentance doesn't apply to me. That's what they were saying. But understand, no matter how high your standards may be, they still fall short of God's standards, and you're playing with monopoly money. But the truth is, you know, the truth matter is, you fall short of your own standards. No matter how high they are. Uh, in Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, be perfect even as my Father in heaven is perfect. Anybody perfect? You know anybody perfect? Are your standards with the King Commandments? He asks you the question, you, you who teach you shouldn't lie, do you lie? Oh, we, we, we say, well, now, Lee, I really don't lie. I tell you, maybe just a little white lie. What do you lie? Do, do you tell people not to do something and you turn around and do it yourself? Or, or how about you say, well, I live by the golden rule. I'm always thinking of others or something. Do you always think of others? Do you? I mean, I'm not, saying, I'm, not, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just saying, do you always? That's the thing. King David was a great man of God, but he sinned with Bathsheba, and he took her husband, you're the Hittite, and had him gone. And it was Nathan that came along and put his finger in his face and told him a story, and then he said, you're the man. And David was angry up until that point, but David did say this is why he had a heart after God. The moment he saw that he was sinful, he was, he, he was confessing, I have sinned, is what he said. Then there's the religious person. In Romans 2, 17 through 29, he says, yes, I know that all things you said is true, and they're true of me. I fall short of those things, but I'm religious, and I place my trust. I take communion. I have been baptized. I have been confirmed. And when I was a baby, uh, when I was a baby, I support the church. The Apostle Paul says, well, all those things, that's good for you. But you still need the gospel to Was there any man any more religious than Nicodemus? I don't think so. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, you be born of the water and the spirit of came in and came in heaven. This is the guy that prayed, prayed, went to the synagogue three times a day, and, and prayed five times a day. 
Years ago, there was a book out that I, I wish I was trying to go look through my library and see if I can't find it again. But it was a great book, and it was a great study through the book of Romans. And the title of the book was How to Be Religious or How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious. That was the title of it. Romans 10, Paul says, You have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. And you can say that about Cain. He had a zeal for God. He brought him a salad. And that's not the way God said you had to come. I mean, you know, God had, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, what did, what, what they, what did they do? They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. That's man's righteousness. And what did God do? God went and killed an animal, put, high, put some skins around them. That's God's righteousness. Now, what does Cain do? Cain comes. He knew that. He had knowledge of that. So when he comes to God, what's he do? He brings him a salad. And God said, except, for the, except by the, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so he came the wrong way. And there's still, it's what scares me about people. Are there people sitting in church, uh, you know, doing all kinds of religious things that are trying to come to God, but they're not coming the way that God has said them to come? It's interesting in, in what, you know, he, he is interested. God is interested in what's in your heart. Well, is the outward things uh, is the outward things not important? Sure, they are. But the result, our outward actions, our outward are a result of us coming to Christ, and He produces those things in us. Listen, for they, you know, you know, uh, for they themselves will not get you into Him. Whatever you do, now He will reward you for it, but they won't get you to heaven. Jesus one time called them the Pharisees. He called them they were a bunch of whitewashed tombs. See, they had a rule. They had all kinds of rules, but they would go through it. If, if, if a guy was going through the, the cemetery and he brushed up against a gravestone, he was unfit, and then he couldn't go to the cemetery. So what would they do? They would take whitewash, and they would wash the tomb. So if he brushed up on again, that wouldn't hurt him. That's what it, that's what the reason they have whitewash. That's why Jesus said you brush the whitewash tomb. In other words, you look white on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. You know, they had all these rules, they, you know, that, that were there that could not take anybody to heaven or anything else. Now, so he's interested in what's in your heart. I read a story about a, t- a town in Switzerland called Basel. And each year they would hold this carnival. It's much like the Mardi Gras in New Orleans, except Basel is a Protestant city. And it was a wild affair with all kinds of debauchery and, and one association with the carnival. And everyone participated in this debauchery that was taking place. Every year they would wear a mask. So nobody would look and know their identity. But the truth matter is, the Salvation Army used that carnival as a source of advertising the gospel. And they put up billboards and posters throughout the town that says in German that God knows what is going on within a person. Because people look at the outward side of it, but God looks on the inside. So even though you got a mask on, God still sees. You know, I, I know there are people that do things that they think because they love darkness or the light, and they do things in the darkness that nobody else. Listen, God's going to show you a video replay of this. You don't come and get it. If you would judge yourself, the Bible says, you, uh, you will not be judged. The Lord looks at your heart and my heart, and what does He see? Does He see deeds, even religious deeds, but are they not backed up by the divine life within? Or does He see His own righteousness imputed to you? beginning to work its way out into your conduct. You know, I, you know, a lot of people, boy, they emphasize baptism. It's almost like they, baptize, they emphasize baptism almost like the Jews 
emphasize circumcision. And yet God said, who's the person that's really circumcised? The person who's had his heart circumcised, not the person who's had the, you know, the other thing done. So baptism is really, what is baptism? Baptism is an outward show of what God has done internally inside you. It's the first commandment to follow Jesus. Now, if I, do, do I believe that baptism saves you? No. Do I believe that uh, a person should be baptized? Yes, yes, I do with all my heart. And I, I believe if somebody came to me and then they said, "Well, I want to be saved," and so they come forward in here, and I say, "Okay, the next step is we want to be baptized." I mean, want you to be baptized, and they were to say to me, "Well, I don't want to be baptized." I don't believe you got saved. But every time somebody was baptized in the New Testament, there was a leading up to that, a, a confirmation that they had given their heart to the Lord. There was repentance. And so once they're baptized, what is baptism? It is showing the world, it's the first commandment, showing the world that you have, uh, you're a follower follower of Jesus Christ. So, uh, uh, we can't fool God with human righteousness. So when you came to God, did you come by addiction or did you come by conviction? What do you mean by that? I mean, when you came, well, I just knew, here's all my facets, here's all the different areas of my life. When I came, I came by simply... I just need a little bit more Jesus with everything else I've got. Or did you go come by submission? Did you come begging God to save you? Did you come knowing that you were lost and you come and, and you said, Oh Lord, please have mercy upon me and save me? That's conviction. God's righteousness will, God's righteousness will you accept God's verdict upon your goodness and turn to Him for the righteousness He wants to give you by His grace. Paul did this. That's what he's saying in verse 9. I once heard a man who was brought to an emergency room with a dislocated spine. They called in the orthopedic surgeon. He saw the man was partially paralyzed. He'd been in a bad accident and had many things wrong with him. One leg was broken with a deep laceration over much of his body. But he could not feel a thing. And the doctor gave him a local anesthetic. And the doctor continually asked the man if he could feel what he was doing to him. If he moved things, he could, do you feel this? Do you feel this? And the answer was continually no. At last, the doctor came to a cleave of splintered bone that was pressing on the spinal cord. This time, the man screamed out of pain. And it was a cry of pain, but it was also a pleasing cry, for it was the first step in that man's recovery. <laughs> it could be the same for many people as to where they are. If you're sensitive to God, do you feel the truth from Him? Or if you don't, if it's a spiritual disorder in your life and God must begin to operate on it so you can come to Him. Maybe He's doing that right now. Because in Philippians 2.13, He says that simply that, uh, that, uh, that it is my, my it is He that, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Says in one six, being confident of this very thing, it is God who has begun a good work in you to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So when you come to Jesus, the first step is to come to Christ. That's the first step. Now He wants to take you and make you into what He wants you to be. Well, maybe you're feeling that most acute spiritual pain because of it. That's first step. You can recover completely as you come to God. The righteousness comes from the Lord Himself. A righteousness that is totally untainted by the world or by sin. 
schism in people? Is it just simply that what Paul said here, that I might be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is from faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith? Is that it? That's what we need. That's what we need to come to Jesus to trust Jesus and Jesus alone. We're going to have a verse of invitation if you're here tonight, and maybe you want to do some business with the Lord. Uh, maybe if you've never come to a place and been saved,